Welcome to Food and Loathing, where the hosts try their hardest not to cut the cheese on air, but we encourage our guests <laughs> no, to do no. so with gusto. In fact, the stinkier the better. The podcast coming to you from cold as hell Las Vegas, Nevada, but you know, it's a dry cold. I am your host for Food and Loathing, Al Mancini. Rich Johnson is our engineer, and like any good engineer, he's been charged with keeping the train on the tracks, regardless of what happens in the bar car, where we already have some yeah. from port, some port wine being poured here. Killed her, gal. <laughs> Rick Moonen is traveling, and the bar car this week is at Valley Cheese and Wine in Henderson. Um, rather than bringing in a guest host to fill Rick's shoes this week for the top and the bottom of the show and then cutting away to our center segment as usual, we're going to mix it up because really why do things as usual anyway? So we have a pair of culinary pros who will serve as both our guest host and our experts for a segment about cheese and charcuterie or charcuteria. Or salumi, or just meat, whatever you want to call Delicious it. Delicious things. We may also talk about wine and port, if you guys have any opinions on that. I have a feeling you <laughs> no, may. No, zero opinions, <laughs> sir. Uh, before I can find out what your opinions are, I suppose I should introduce you. So first, our hostess with the mostest, returning for her second appearance on Food and Loathing. Whoop, I'm going to Michael, Mu- Michael Buffer kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, you know, gradually yeah. crescendo. Ladies sort of. and gentlemen, <laughs> I, he has that trademarked. I could probably get sued for him. Yeah. Uh, the proprietor of Valley Cheese and Wine, which is where we are recording right now, the one and the only Diana Breyer. Diana, hey. how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, it's fun to be back. The cheesy queen. Yes. Always. You know it. The you know queen it. of cheese. The queen of cheese. Um, and now that we've met our cheesemonger, let's move on to our meat master. You can't beat his meat. <laughs> you, not, you can slam his oh, ham, but you boy. can't beat his meat. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, dear. Another just second. right this themselves. Is going down yeah. 50 yeah. years yeah. ago. Right? Yeah. So. We're not even like five minutes in, guys. Not even <laughs> trying to be original. Another second time guest, the owner and operator of one of Las Vegas's top Spanish restaurants, in my opinion, one of the greatest restaurants to open in the past 12 months. And I'm going to wow. call it an opening because it was a relaunch. And Don't a call it a comeback. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, then. Um, we're talking, of course, about Valencian gold. Jeff is also... Why don't the... you say his full name? While yes. We're at it. Jeffrey White. <laughs> what a respect. Jeffrey White. Okay. He's why well, I was getting to that. It was down at the Off end of the paragraph the there. Um, he's also the James Beard Award nominated author for his book, Charcuteria. The Soul of Spain. I don't know what kind of accent I just tried to do there. In which he educates readers about the art of charcuterie. Um, but I, since I know a lot of you guys don't read, so I figured he could just talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> you should go and buy a copy of the book, though, Please and do. at least give him those royalties. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. We like that. And he'll sign it if you bring it to the restaurant, Absolutely, right? and I'll make you a paella, too. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'm talking about Jeff Weiss. Jeff, how are you, my friend? I am awesome. I've got a glass of port in front of me and we got some lovely delicious things to snack on it's yeah it's a good day at valley cheese and wine it's gonna be a good one it's gonna be a good yeah. one it is starting off strong yes cool we, we usually start the top of the show talking about where we've dined out recently i've actually been eating in a lot mm-hmm. hustling to get some Whoa. work done i will mention that i tried a new gaming bar called the ridges on wallapai it's part of a new chain from the terribles family hmm. i've got a good friend who's a manager over there i didn't get enough details during my first vig- visit to talk about it so maybe i'll have her on in the future but blah 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 go check that out yeah. i've got friends 
Games over there mm. and um, New Chain. And it's weird because it's like a gaming bar chain, but the, the higher end tiers Ooh. are all going to have different names. How's the menu? What's the food like? Um, I had I had a crab cake that was that was pretty solid. Nice. Um, okay. You know, I, I'd like slightly bigger lumps in it, I think, you know, but we're talking about we like gaming big lumps, bar. Yeah. Yes, I like, I like it big and lumpy. And I yeah. cannot lie. But um, mm. <laughs> I also had some really good wings, but I've only had a couple dishes Ooh. there. So, um, but it's a really lush place. It's high end. It's mm. on Wild Pie by that kind of Summerlin South community. Mm. And the way it was explained to me is that the Terribles family that runs it, they're sort of, they're going to they're gonna have several tiers, just like, you know, PTs does. And the ones that are in the top tier, which this is going to be, are going to all have their own names. Well, so you won't necessarily know that they're oh. different, but they'll have the same kind of mountainy logo, right? So I'm going to hopefully have them on to explain it. Hmm. But it's, it's a beautiful space. It's been a couple of things. It used to be this weird 24-hour sushi joint, like back in the day. I re- reviewed it years ago for City Life. And then it was some horrible kind of frat boy bar, like, <laughs> like Bubby's <laughs> University or <laughs> some like ridiculous ass shit yeah. like that I walked in for about two minutes and had to leave. Dude, you know, you're like, 32 anymore. The, the, the frat doesn't want you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was sort of like I felt like I should have just taken a keychain and, you know, hit it in the side of a can of beer and chugged it. Like, it was like that for a while. <laughs> the smell of Drakkar Noir was just <laughs> tripping out. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but these guys have given it a complete makeover. It's really, really nice space. So hopefully I'll have some more on that in the very near How's future. How's the pay tables on those video poker? I've been a real video poker. Oh, lately, man, so. I don't know. We'll have to have um, Anthony Curtis report back to us there on that go, one because yeah. he's my expert on how the pay tables look on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I also paid a visit to Serial Killer's Kitchen. Oh. Um, I'd been to the original location, which is now closed in the Galleria. Things. They are currently in Centennial Hills in the Miracle Mile shops. And our friend Lindsay Stewart mentioned it when I asked her to recommend favorite places mm-hmm. for dessert. Have you guys been to Serial Killer's? I've heard nothing but good things. Same. I have a couple friends who went down and they're like, oh my God, you got to go. And since I unchained myself from uh, the Grill at Valencia and Gold. I would love to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the idea is it's all kids' cereals, right? They have yeah. like over 100 kids' cereals there that are available. Um, and you can mix and match bowls of each. But, you know, like, fuck it, this is Vegas. Who just wants kids' cereals, right? And by right. the way, you get yeah. them with almond milk yeah. or whatever. But you can also get them with ice cream. Or oh, you can wow. get them in milkshakes. Or you can get them with Pop-Tarts and milkshakes and ice cream, right? And I got something. They had this LeBron James. It was a taco, giant taco shell that I think was coated in like white chocolate or something. And then they sprinkled fruity pebbles on it. And it was supposed <laughs> to have, it was supposed to have strawberry ice cream and strawberry drizzle and then wow. whipped cream. But what is I didn't the correlation like to LeBron James? There, I, I have I got no it. idea. I got to know. So white chocolate and fruity pebbles has to do with something. I, I got no idea. But I, I had to mix it up a little. But I'll tell you, it was weird because they take the ice cream and they scoop it out. A lot of scoops. I mean, I ordered mm-hmm. this one taco. They must have had like six scoops of ice cream. Holy crap. And then they no. put it in like a, a mix, like a soft serve blender that mixes it up. And then they, they, they soft serve it into the taco shell. And there's a lot of water that gets kind of taken out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, all six scoops of the ice cream don't go yeah. in there. But it's sort of like a more pure... I don't know. It, it was fucking weird, but it was really good. I only oh. went there to take a picture of it. You can see, you'll can see, you see it on the Food and Loathing um, social media. But uh, 
I, that was my breakfast that day, and I was like, I can't eat this whole thing, but I felt like a dick not eating it because it was wow, it was fucking good, man. I mean, yeah, I'm cursing a go. lot, but it was yeah. really good. I think I did get a diet that come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, How high were you? I wasn't high. That was the amazing thing. It made you feel high. Whether you, uh, yeah, you walk yeah. in this place and you'll feel high, because let's face it, yeah. yeah, little kids like being high is the closest you can come to being an eight-year-old watching cartoons on a yeah. Saturday morning with oh, pretty God. pebbles in front. So of you, right? That's, what, Remember, that's what weed is supposed to do, is bring you back to that. There is a fine line between being high and being in a diabetic coma. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It is a, yeah, diabetes. It's a, it's a yeah. line. Yes. Well, I, I, again, I didn't eat the whole thing because it was my breakfast that day, but it was it was pretty good. So that I sounds incredible. Those guys. Thank so you, Lindsay. The Las Vegas foodie at the Las Vegas Love foodie. Love you, Lindsay. Lindsay's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, finally, Sue and I visited the Legends Oyster Bar. Oh, yeah. Again, mm-hmm. you know, we were kind of looking. Sue's like, let's just get away from work and let's not even watch the Golden Knights game. You know we need time off. Whoa. We didn't even Whoa, watch the game. That's a big deal. Let's just have a little date night someplace close to home that wouldn't be, you know, too crazy. We went over to the Legends. That place, have you guys both been mm-hmm. there? Yes. Yep. That is really, really solid. I mean, beyond solid. That's just yes. a stellar seafood restaurant Absolutely. in the Burbs. And it's... it is an Oyster Bar. You know, and they had. We love an oyster bar in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those places that you know you're going to go. It's going to be consistent. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good standby. It's like, oh, where do you want to go? Let's let's just go get some you know, oyster. It's bar always and, the ringer uh, when yeah, nobody yeah, can agree yeah, on anything, yeah, yeah. and you're just like oyster bar, and everybody's like, fuck yeah, yeah. oyster yeah. bar. And no they problem. do it like they, the first. They have like a dozen types of oysters on weekends. Mm-hmm. The night we were there was a weeknight. I think they had six. Which is still for you know whatever yeah. Wednesday night six In varieties the of great. oysters pretty damn good yeah um, but also you know I should say because they're right in the same neighborhood as other mama. Right, mm-hmm. they're in that desert breeze neighborhood. So yes. both great um, seafood restaurants, but this is very much along the lines of for, they they have some fine dining, some high end dishes, yes. and I respect that they do that. But they also have the jambalaya, the gumbo, and the pan roast, right? Which are sort of the staples of those casino oyster bars yeah. that we yes. all know, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I think a pan roast was like only invented like twenty years ago by one of those chains, right? Yeah, but I think it's uh-huh. they've it's got. Stations? Yeah, I don't know. It might have been. Oh boy, Probably. Big Al's, the Orleans. Big that's, Al's. That's my pan oh, roast go-to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, but I don't know if they were the original. But So they do that level, whereas you know Dan is doing something different over at Other Mama. They do those things. And then they also touch on the kind of cuisine that Dan does at Other Mama. They don't do sushi. That would be the big differentiator mm-hmm. before the, between the two, I guess. And But again, they do more of those gumbos. And man, that's a great place. Oh, and I love, I love it. it. It feels like you're in... Some dockside. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's over the top. It's kind of like it is. It's like being in a. You know, Sue's like this reminds me of like the Jersey. You know, places where we used to go on the docks mm. in, in South, South Jersey. And I'm like, yeah, if we were on mushrooms, because it's done with a very kind of um. It's over like the, the room before decor. you go into like the ship ride at Disneyland. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, it's the on the waterfront theme park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Brandon <laughs> Powers would like this place. Yeah. They got yeah. an yeah. animatronic like, Marlon Brando over there in the corner. It's the Indiana Jones waiting room. Of yeah. Oyster bars. Yeah. Yeah. So we love them. Um, moving on, Jeff, have you eaten any place noteworthy? You know, same area. I always am a fan of Zaytoons right there. It's in the same shopping center as other mama. Persian food, yeah. right? Uh, well, Middle Eastern. It's this great little market, but like, you know, they're, they're just, it's a great little family that runs it. And I mean, everything they do is just, it's, it's so good. We, we, we eat a lot of food there. Definitely. That's, that's one of my, that's one of my go-tos. I, I went there just the other day. Cool. Yeah. Diana, any good restaurants? Speaking of oyster bars, I was at the oyster bar at GVR last night. 
Um, cool. I don't remember a whole lot of it. Oh, happy birthday, by the way. There. This is yeah, the day yeah. after. Yeah. It's the morning after the, the night the of, of the uh, dog podcast, everyone. Yeah. Um, and then when I am not at my own wine bar, you can <laughs> also often find me at other wine bars. So I was at Ada's over the past week. Hmm. Um, I love loved, Ada's. Oh, yeah. gosh, me too. I mean, just a great staff, like salt of the earth, so knowledgeable, so, so innovative, and just really thoughtful with everything that they're doing over there right now. Just had a menu change. Really, really outstanding dishes on that menu. Um, now, and then it I'm, is, for those who don't know, it's in Tivoli Village. Tivoli Village. It is a James Trees restaurant. Jackson mm-hmm. Stamper, the executive chef there. Yes. Um, they are doing, you know, they've been through a couple different... Uh, iterations, iterations of the idea. There's sure. the way. Mm-hmm. But right now, it tends to be mostly Spanish, mm-hmm. tapas mm-hmm. style. So, Jeff, you are the Spanish foods expert. What do you think yeah. of this? I'm putting put you on the spot right yeah. now. Spot. What do you I think mean, of Jackson's food, man? Yeah, you know... <laughs> What's I've said this all along, you know, I'm sure just we were joking earlier, like you can find my quotes just about anywhere about this topic. But like the what's cool about everyone who does Spanish food in Vegas and there's a group of there's, you know, the guys at Hamon Hamon who, you know, they do this kind of taverna style. His manitas de cerdo are like just like I had in Madrid and you have, you know, Oscar to you down know, between Anima and EDO. They do kind of more the almost Barcelona style and just kind of a little bit higher concept. Jose, you know, Jose Andres is the godfather. He does all this stuff. Valencian gold. We do kind of the Baez and the Valencian style. What I like about what they're doing over at Ada's, you know, it's, it, he's doing, it's kind of you can see the Italian DNA a little bit in kind of what you know the menu is and what they're doing, but they're bringing it home into into this you know these different Spanish preparations. And I, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think I love that everyone's doing kind of their own take on Spanish stuff. And there's you get a different experience everywhere you go in this town. Yeah. Just yeah. sort of like if you go to Spain, they don't only make Bingo. one dish, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, it's, it's like always so funny it. when people brag about that. This place isn't authentic. What oh, makes God. it not authentic? Yeah. I, I hate like that the word. one restaurant I ate at the day my cruise ship stopped <laughs> at that country. You know? Oh, well then. Yeah, you oh, well then. Know. You must yeah. be the authority. Thank yeah. you. No. Oh. Uh, uh, Diana, I know you're having a big week as you prepare for the fancy food show. Yes. Um, you want to just give us a, a hint as to what that's been all about? A lot of parties? What's coming up with going on? And Jeff, are you doing fancy foods? You know something? I think I'm going to be visiting at least one day. Um, I know all my Spanish friends are over in the Spanish pavilion. I got to go give them a hard time and say hi. Cool. Yeah, yeah, my homies are in the cheese pavilion. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so what have you been up to with that? So fancy food show. Gosh, I really haven't had a chance to attend this expo since I've been a cheese professional because when you're making cheese, you do not leave your babies. You're like, not, you don't leave those, you know, you're never out of your vat. Um, and then everywhere else I've been mongering, I've either been too young of a monger or too deep in other projects to move myself outside of the city. Um, so it's actually been really, really interesting that they're over here in Las Vegas now. It's really cool. I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing or not, but um I have a little bit of a reputation in the cheese industry, so a lot of people have ended up reaching out to me and saying, hey, we need your help collaborating with this or collaborating with that because we don't, there's not a huge cheese scene here, and we will mm. talk about that, I'm sure, later. Um, but it's been really, really fun. It's been kind of like an unexpected hell week for me, um, sort of combining everything that we had going on this week with sort of the cap, the finishing line being fancy food shows. So I will be at the exposition all three days, and then I have events before oh. and after every day. Wow. And then you sleep. And I, and I actually put it on my calendar like, no one fucking talk to me on Tuesday. I am sleeping. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine. Well, look, uh, you know, one of the people that I was going to have here today before we decided on the format and there was going to be 
charcuterie and cheese. We were mm-hmm. just going to do pure cheese for our main segment today, and I wanted um, Michael Stamm from mm-hmm. Cured and Way yep. and MGP Food to come. Michael's fantastic. I asked him to be a guest to talk about cheese, and like you, he's super busy with fa- preparing for the fancy food show. Yes. He just couldn't find time to come over here that we, where we could all get it together at the same time, but I still wanted him here in spirit, and since I am trying to prepare for the fancy food show, where Rich and I are going to be live streaming on Monday... Um, and I've never been, so I decided to swing by uh, Cured and Way, one of my favorite places to go for you know lunch anyway, and chat with Michael about the show. What's it mean for somebody in the specialty foods business like yourself to have the fancy food show in Las Vegas? Oh, it's absolutely incredible. I love the fancy food show. I love to go uh, see new products. I love to meet my vendors, my producers, my cheese makers, and so forth, and see them and get to talk to them about new products, what's coming in. What are we changing? What's the new trends? What are the shorts? What are the, I mean, the the struggles right now, especially now after a pandemic, um, coming out of it, what are we looking at? Transportation costs. And we can find all that out when we go to the fancy food shop. What about products? I mean, everybody feels like it's kids in a candy store, kind of Willy Wonka. I've never been. This is going to be my first time. What's it like walking that floor usually? Because you've been to many of these. I've I've been going to the fancy food show, especially the winter fancy food show now since 2002. Uh, New York, I did three or four times, and it was always fun. Um, So it's always fun walking and seeing what's new. Uh, Cheesemakers, different products. Uh, that are being imported into the United States from foreign countries. Um, so yes, it's it's like exactly a kit in a candy store when you walk in, and it's always good to see that. Let me ask you, can you really spot trends at something like this? Do you walk around the floor and you say, oh, everybody's suddenly using uh, rabbit cheese or something this year, and now I'm going to start seeing it in the, uh, obviously I'm making up something ridiculous, but then suddenly six months later you start seeing it in restaurants? I mean, do you actually see things that filter down quickly to the tables of restaurants? Yes, absolutely. I think that's the perfect opportunity for a chef to get new ideas to plan their next menu, their next strategies, uh, the new up and downs of what they want to do and what they want to have on a menu. Uh, there's a lot of great new products that they can find, uh, a lot, especially now with people coming from all over, uh, Canada, South America, which is great countries to find new products, okay, uh, Pipara peppers, for example, out of Spain, um, Iberico, um, there's going to be several new vendors coming into the fancy food show this time. Uh, from Texas, actually, with Iberico products, okay, right here, domestically made. There is actually now even, I just talked to a gentleman in uh, uh, California, up by San Francisco, uh, that is actually having a farm of Iberico, okay? So he's starting to produce Iberico right here. Wow. So different cuts. Right now it's on a small scale, but he's trying to get the herd bigger. So, yes, there's a lot of new trends coming. Um, you will see that a lot of chefs more and more are looking into bringing um, domestic-made products in because of the cost of transportation. So you will see a shift on that, and I think a lot of chefs will really utilize that. Um, so after kind of everybody being cooped up for two years, right, are we going to see a lot more innovation, a lot more new products because there's been this this pause in the chain or is it going to be slower this year than in the past because people are just running to play catch up, do you think? 
I think right now it's more of running to play catch up because I don't think we, we will see that many new products. I think we will see more of uh, catching up because of everybody's having the same problem with shortage of labor. Okay, so even manufacturers. Um, so I think that it will be a, a, a testing ground this time to just, hey, listen, this is what we happened to us. We had to reduce production. We're just now finally getting back up production. We're finally coming back, so just hang in there. Okay, um, I think that a lot of the quality standards had dropped during the COVID because of you couldn't find the right labor. Nobody wanted to come back. Uh, now this is slowly changing and, and I think we will see that trend. It's more of the producers and the importers feeling out the customers on where they are and what they're looking for, okay? And how can we get over the shortages? Okay, that is the biggest thing. How can we get over the shortages or the transportation problems? Okay, that's gonna be a big issue, how we can fix that. Cool, well, look, I look forward to seeing you on the floor and um, I'm looking forward to my first fancy food show and thanks so much, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Same here, Al, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, I'm a, I always love the fancy food show and I'm really looking forward to having it here finally in Las Vegas. Uh, especially what better place than Las Vegas to have it in. We have all the hotel rooms, we have some of the best convention spaces, and I think really it would put, the food, the restaurant scene here in Las Vegas is insane. You know that yeah. better than me. And uh, being part of this is just always awesome. Cool. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so I, I'm excited. Hopefully we will see Michael, we'll see Diana, we'll see Jeff, everybody at the Fancy Food Show. Come to the Food and Loathing table we will be set up doing some live podcasting i don't know where we'll be but you yeah guys, i mean my hair is easy to find much upgraded from the food and loathing laps <laughs> everybody knows about the fancy food show app right so it has everything that you need yeah yeah no oh fancy food show has an app um mm -hmm. so this year it's going to be really really easy to navigate your way through the show um so it probably will be easy to find you if i just look for your name or look for food and loathing now i gotta It'll... make sure i get on the app yep yeah <laughs> hey that's all right there's too much of my fyi apps right <laughs> pro tip uh so as we wrap up what have we done i know that was a bit of sort of what we're doing segment rich what have you been up to well you know i always eat in a lot a couple of exceptions those this week but i did take uh nicole brisson's advice from a couple of episodes ago and i We've been eating more bison. Mm. Uh, Delicious. Found some at Whole Foods, something called Great Range Premium Bison. Individual cuts, all nice and shrink-wrapped. We got the fillets, we got the ribeyes, we got the New York. Fillets were fantastic. You know, the usual rap about beef fillet being eh, so tender but not so flavorful. These things have some flavor. It's a mild flavor, but it's definitely a pronounced flavor. The grass feed definitely gives them the better flavor. The New York, uh, a little challenging. The ribeye, though was the best of all. It looks like the filet. Very little marbling on a bison mm -hmm. ribeye. Uh, a serious flavor pop, and I will be buying more bison. Uh, for it's cow consumption... It's a lean meat. Yeah. It's a very, very lean, lean meat. Mm -hmm. The grass-fed, none bison of this feedlot corn crap. Bison, bison look fat. When you look at them, they look like yeah. they got a weight problem, but They're apparently not. Tanks, all yeah. muscle. Yeah. All muscle, baby. <laughs> animals, yeah. yeah. So for cow consumption, uh, we went to Oscars last night, the steakhouse at the Plaza Hotel downtown. Full disclosure, I also produce On the Corner of Main Street, the podcast of the Plaza Hotel. Oh. I vowed to try the chicken or the fish, maybe a pork chop, something new, and then somebody walked by one of the servers with a big hunk of prime rib and 
Oh, never mind. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> you know, I've done a lot of those at home. Roasting beef is kind of simple when it, until it's not. Uh, I've done very good ones at home, but nothing like a good restaurant hunk of prime rib. And that's what we had. Joanna, my wife, had a nice piece of salmon that uh, I asked, what's what's the providence of this? And said it was swimming, you know, a couple days ago in Vancouver Island or off the island. Mm-hmm. So nothing from a farm up there. Uh, an excellent night of big, heavy, rich food. Mm. And a bottle of wine. Oh, I forget the name of it, but the notes on the, the description. It was the featured wine at Oscars for the moment. And it had, I, I got to read this little bit here. Um, get my judgmental 69% <laughs> Cabernet, 27% Merlot, 1% Malbec and all that. It has pretty sense of Morello cherries, cigar box, lavender, and pencil shavings. Is that what somebody told you, or is that what you That's right yourself? here on the description oh, on, on the, the description. menu, okay. the featured wow. wine. I, mean, I was going to say, Rich cigar. Yeah. I, I love, I love wine. I said, I love yeah. Descriptions. Yeah, you had my, me at pencil my shavings. My favorite one, I had a Psalm friend, and he was like, this wine has the nose of powdered hand soap in a Mexican whorehouse. <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. You I can really yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that's a closer. You know, here's the thing. If we could just go off on a little tangent, though. Yes. People always talk about the pretentiousness of these wine descriptors and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, I've had this conversation with Sue a lot. Like if we try to taste a whiskey or taste a wine, try to figure out what we taste in it. And I think, you know, after 20 years of writing about food, one thing I've come to realize is that we do not have a vocabulary, a universal, agreed upon, accepted vocabulary for taste to the degree that we do for, say, color, right? We've yeah. all had a 64 Crayola box, and we know, like, those different, we know what indigo, you know, like, all these different yeah. shades. We don't have that. We have sweet, sour, salty, right? That's Those are the mm-hmm. other words we know. And as we, as we try to relate these universal experiences that we're tasting, a lot of times we're just grasping for a word to communicate it to somebody. And, yeah, I do come up with very strange things like pencil shavings or whatever. And sometimes you don't know where they're coming from because it may just be that whatever you're tasting brings you back to a moment in time. Correct. And that was something that was present at that moment in time. And you're kind of automatically, um, you know, you're jumping into it from that point, you know. And so I I don't, you know. Yeah. but that that was the closer. After making fun of it, I said, "Okay, I gotta have that." And, <laughs> you know, and that it was, was a, very nice, deep red that went perfect with the cow. It actually so. sounds like a pretty little Bordeaux style. Perfect with yeah. the cow. Yeah, <laughs> pretty little Bordeaux. <laughs> um, and we should remind people again: Ben Jenkins is the chef over at Oscars. I have not been there since he took over, but I'm a big fan of all of his oh, work yeah. with the Mina Group. So. Um, I want to get back in there and see what he is doing. Coming up, we have some news and some interviews. But first, we're about to talk cheese and charcuterie with our guests, with our guests, and with our guts. <laughs> and um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of puns in there. This is Food and Loathing. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we're going to talk about cheese and we're going to talk about charcuterie in this segment. Um, I always like to do segments that are inspired by people who are pissed off on Facebook and social (laughs) media. That's always good. The very first episode of our show, or maybe the second episode of our show, we did the the first one. We did something that was inspired by a John. um, Yeah. Why aren't there more local chefs on the strip? The strip. So we did that. That was Um, great. (laughs) I love that post. (laughs) So this is inspired by Diana was apparently feeling a little pissy one day about the fact that people refer <laughs> to the, cheese boards as charcuterie boards. Could you the remind top, us what was making you angry that day when, Get you, it. You, know, Get it. when I, you were I, hate posting? I think what, what angers me is it's just wrong. Like, I just don't want you to be wrong around me. And I, I like, <laughs> and here's the thing. Well. I, I, you know, feel free to whatever you want to do with what your own really life. But, your you know, <laughs> no, and so I much. just think that we really have... Um, Instagram and social media have been a huge drive of change in a lot of ways, especially during the pandemic. One of the things that sort of everybody started doing was creating their own platters at home Mm -hmm. and sort of misnomering them all as charcuterie boards. So I'm seeing people, I think I logged into Instagram, like I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night (laughs) and I logged onto Instagram and a known professional, a known person in the platter world, I wouldn't call them a cheesemonger because you need some education there. Um, I like that there's a platter world. There is a platter world. Um, Um, Somebody who's very well known and has a lot of influence in the sort of like platter world put together this fucking hot chocolate dessert (laughs) s'mores caramel platter and called it charcuterie. <laughs> I just fucking, I, was, I, I remember I didn't go back to sleep. That's but it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, that's not what it is. You know, I don't call you fucking Tom because your name is Al. You can. I, I probably okay. won't. Yeah. It'll probably just confuse me at the end of the day. I'll be like, what are we doing? Um, but I just think that Call it what it is. Yeah, vocabulary is important. And it is. And, you know, you're talking about it. This harkens back to something you just said earlier in the episode, which is that there really isn't a universal language in, you know, sensory well, evaluations. There is and a there universal is an language for in, charcuterie. And like, there yeah. is for cheese, too. And, you know, like, and wine on, as like, well. You know, but as far as, like, the the perception of the eater, the customer, there really is no sort of universal language. So they have a very adaptable mind when they're trying to explore something that's brand new. So everything becomes charcuterie. So people come into the shop and they say, oh, I'm looking for a charcuterie. And I'm like, (laughs) which one? Yeah. Um, Because I have charcuterie just means meat. Are you looking at a salami? Do you want a whole muscle meat? And they're like, no, I came here for a charcuterie, like a board. board, But now it's now charcuterie board has shortened. Now cheese and charcuterie board has shortened to charcuterie board, which has shortened to charcuterie, hmm. which has shortened to people just coming in for a charcuterie. Yeah. And I'm like... You ignorant bastards. And it's part of my job is education. <laughs> no, Absolutely. And, and that's it. Like, don't feel bad if you're using no, the wrong word. No, just know, stop I mispronounce it. words all the time and I use <laughs> the wrong... But, like, let's just learn, right? And, yeah. And, and that's cool. And that's why I've got experts here because I say dumb shit all the time and then I have you guys tell me what I said was hey, wrong. That was dumb so. shit. Yeah. And it's but a you, mission. Yeah. It's a driving mission of the shop that we have approachable, friendly experts. So I mm-hmm. I have every intention of... As long as you don't ask for a fucking charcuterie. No, but I really am not, you know... 
you're getting a very no, Diana is a wonderful, very um, nice, but very I, you know, welcoming. I am, I am patient and I very much teach, okay. teach How may I what help they need you, to you know. Idiot. Yeah, but I, I can't say that it hasn't become a little bit of like a, a poisonous thing in our industry because mm-hmm. we have to do the extra work to sort of fix mm-hmm. that misinformation. And then what happens when they say salumi? Because you know, that's fine. Yeah, salumi is a great term. Sort of a of a item that has become part of the popular jargon. That you know, blame the PR people or blame the you know just the the sheer popularity of this idea of these boards and the word charcuterie. I mean, this started back you know when I first started writing the book. That that word became popping up and it was kind of a thing. And you know, that's I think it's only gotten more and more popular over the last decade or so. And I think I mean. It's a good thing. Let's qualify yeah. this. It's a good thing that people know this word and know these things and are asking for and these they're things. Asking and they're and trying it's to learn. Right, customers right. into you the know. business. And yeah. yeah. I mean, just. So let's get talk it right. about what. Okay. So let's go. First <laughs> Not of all, chocolate. Charcuterie. Every is pro has the, a pet peeve. <laughs> charcuterie is the French word, right? So it goes. I actually, you know, this was part of the, the research I did for the book. I wanted to know that I was, you know, writing the right things and using the right words. The so book she, again, Charcuterie, the, the Soul, Soul of Spain, Spain, by Jeffrey Weiss, which also available on Amazon. Absolutely, <laughs> but on version two is Alexa. Like it's buy it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you know, it's a word that goes back. I mean. You know, a, lo- a long time in France, there were the, the guilds and the charcutiers, and they were originally only and strictly referred to cured pork products, period, end of sentence. That was what the, the items that they dealt in. And then over the years, you know, it has come to expand. I mean, I mean, there's there's cured beef items, there's cecina, there's, there's you know, there's fish items, there's mojama, which comes from the south of Spain and, and certainly down in, in Italy as well. And it's, this word is kind of this all-encompassing umbrella word that now you know you have items that you are we we come to explain it as something that has been cured salted smoked or preserved in some way or some fashion that kind of falls under the umbrella of charcuterie now you know that can also include there are some vegetable items that could conceivably fall under those kind of under that umbrella there's non-meat items that can fall under that umbrella I don't know that chocolate falls under that. <laughs> I'm going to make the argument that I think we have to put our foot down somewhere and perhaps it's there, but definitely meats and those sorts of items that have been preserved in some fashion typically are considered charcuterie. Now, when you say cured, mm. usually salted or smoked, sure. uh, in a lot of instances, there's not an actual cooking. There's not a heating process, Correct. but in some there are, right? Like I'm pretty sure like I've seen okay. people boiling a pig's so, head to make head cheese. Correct. Right? And so. I would, I would qualify that as charcuterie. So charcuterie typically, I, I, I broke it up in the book. There's three different sections. You know, there's your fresh sausages and those sorts of things, which, you know, it's ground up, it's salted, it's held. I mean, it's it is a form of charcuterie. Um, and then you have your, they're smoked. So, and, you know, there are semi-cured as well, where it's, they partially cure it. And then it's, you know, it's, it's not okay to eat raw, but it is, you know, partially cured to a point. There's a whole family of those items. Then there's the smoked, which are, or, or otherwise cooked items. And then you get into all the fun stuff, which is the non-cooked, dry cured, where they've been, it's four ingredients, salt, air, love, and time. And that's, you know, T-I-M-E, not T-H-Y-M-E. And, and that's <laughs> the stuff that if you're making it in-house, mm. unless you're in a very progressive city with a very progressive health department, <laughs> oh, you're man. probably oh. going to piss off somebody at the health district. That and I've correct. gotten chefs in trouble for writing about the uh-huh. charcuterie program. Yep. Hiding and in the <laughs> electric cabinet or whatever. I think before whatever. you yeah, got here exactly. this morning, we had a whole, well, we had a whole bitch fest about that. Well, yeah. it, was, it was definitely, you know, it, SNHD, our good friends at the SNHD, they, they do their best and one of the first questions they asked me when they found out I'm doing charcuterie is are you making your own house absolutely not why 
it takes a lot of time, a lot of space, a lot of manpower, and it's just you know it's an extra level of what we call HACCP or the you know the ha the hazard analysis critical control point the all the the controls that we need in place to make a safe product which is what we seek to do in our restaurants anyway right. we don't make our own it's 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 just too much you need a really pretty big um footprint to be able to do that so you know no anyone who makes their own it's god bless them but it's not uh, something we're going to do at our so little restaurant when i see charcuteries or salumi which being an italian word for pretty much the same thing yes and, yes um when i see those I, and this is not me having done research or whatever, mm -hmm. this is just the average Al Mancini schmuck on the street who likes to eat good tasting things. I see him falling into a couple different categories. One, you've got like just the, the hams, right? The, the just thinly yes. sliced mm -hmm. hams, whether that be prosciutto or whether that be an Iberico ham mm -hmm. or something like that. And they're just, you know, there's the, the, the leg of the pig and you just slice it off and, it, and it's delicious. Snack. Then I see the sausages, mm -hmm. right? And they're in a casing and they look like a sausage that we've all seen. Then I see like what I'd call like pressed meats, right? That mm -hmm. seem to be now I don't know if that's the same as sausages, but like when you get a head cheese or things that almost have like a gelatin kind of in them, right? And that's all just shoved together and you don't know how the hell it's sticking together and you're kinda of like, I don't know if I should eat that. It looks a little weird. <laughs> you wouldn't eat it if you were getting it from maybe the Albertsons grocery store, but if uh -huh. you get it in a good place you eat it, right? Like right. that kind of mm -hmm. shit. Yep. And then there are like more the pates, like so terrines. Pates and, and like terrines, I think, are the family that you're talking right. about. So yeah. are those like four categories that I'm noting? Are they actual categories? categories are they four of the categories 100 percent there 100 percent. they all are categories of charcuterie in some fashion yes okay and they're delicious and I are they the only categories of charcuterie i'm sorry that, am i missing any major categories only ones you need <laughs> <laughs> other than the cheese yes, that we're exactly. going to talk about exactly. which I as mean, we've talked about is not charcuterie there are there are of <laughs> course other categories you know there's you know bacon for example well it's a you know that's that's charcuterie well i, I think bacon's one of the main food groups of my diet everyone anyway. so yes. you know there are things like that that definitely fall either in between categories, they include a few categories, but generally speaking, yeah, you got a big leg of ham, you have some sort of ground up sausage thing that is either cured or raw or whatever, and then you've got these really delicious, they're you know more so prevalent perhaps in, in Europe and France and Spain, but we see them here, the terrines and pâtés. So I, I mean, I'm, my, my Jewish family, we're all about the chicken liver pâté all day long, mm -hmm. so you know, that's... You know, every Would a culture. roulette fall in? Do I, am I even Pate? pronouncing it? Riette? Riette? Riette, absolutely. Riette so riettes are cured chunks of, say, pork or, or salmon. Um, and then they've been cooked in under fat, and then they're brought back together. It's kind of like a pate, but it's chunkier, and it's that's definitely qualifies as charcuterie. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's in my terrine section of the book is a, a riette-like Spanish preparation. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, really good one at Ada's where we were talking about. They do um, they do Eric Repair's Riet there. The, Ooh. His, yes. Jackson, the no, somebody, I was actually just thinking about those when you said Riet. Yeah. Nice. So I was like, mm, yeah. Okay, so those are some basics. Yep. Um, normally, you don't have to pick your own, but if you're in a, a better restaurant or a, mm -hmm. a restaurant that really takes its charcuterie program seriously, it'll say choose three, choose five, something mm -hmm. like that. Is there a way that you guys say, like, make sure you get one from each category, make sure you get one so, this? So we just revamped. We won... We, we, Valencian Gold won Best Charcuterie in Vegas this Ooh. year, which was a really, it was, it was, I mean, I'm really grateful. It's a really cool thing. I've obviously I haven't written this crazy book about all the charcuterie in Spain. It was something that we, I take pride in is that program. I have four hams on the wall that we, we hand slice. Um, and then we have, you know, all manner of sausages and all kinds of things that we, we do. And we just revamped our charcuterie program because what we were noticing, and I don't know, maybe you, you see it too, is 
folks come in, they say, I need a, I want a charcuterie board for two. I want a cheese board for four. Yep. And so that's kind of the way that we changed up ours. And then we have the grand platter. We call it the soul of Spain, which not only after the book, but the Hemingway poem as well. Um, and it's pretty much everything, 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 all the breads, all the cheeses, all the meats. And the, I think the, a lot of the, the restaurants in town I've seen that will do these great charcuterie platters. Like they'll have one big daddy, you know, grandpapa on there. That's like, here, you want all the things, here you go. And that's like, that's just pride in your product. I yeah. mean, you go, Hey guys, like here's what we got snack away. Right. I don't uh, think I could put a board together like that. Yeah. Just, that's just everything all I have. The, well, you have a lot of things. <laughs> like your, your shop is all of the things. Really? <laughs> so is it just better for me to just ask kind of my server to put it together or hope that the team puts it together or that, should I try to pick and choose what I want on it? I mean, when you're here, definitely ask us. Uh, I don't know about restaurant dining though because personally, I, I feel like I trust a chef more than I trust maybe a front of house person with a front of house people are great and necessary and an, an important cog in the machine. But I trust the person who mm. has curated put, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who curated the idea. Right. Um, so I'm usually, I'll usually when I'm dining somewhere have tell the chef, you know, yeah. whatever you're the most proud of right now mm. is what I would like to have. Nice. Uh, before yeah. we move on to cheese, I want to talk about, you talk about slicing the ham, right? Mm. It kind of, it, it made me think is you're like, yeah, we have these hams and we slice them. Even the way that these hams are sliced yes. is so dependent almost on where they're from, right? Because you go into a great Italian restaurant, like Mark Vetri restaurant, and he's got that that hand-cranked mm -hmm. ham that he's using on the prosciutto, right? I mean, hand-cranked, um, I don't know. What, what the is slicer. It? Slicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 hand-cranked slicer. Um, yeah, and you, which are, you, know, you always heat, see right? in Italian restaurants. When you go into a French restaurant or a Spanish restaurant, and uh, in, in what I believe to be the Spanish tradition, mm -hmm. there, there's a guy whose whole job is just to slice that Iberico ham with that that knife that I've tried to use. It's like really long. It looks mm -hmm. like a samurai sword, but it's really bendy, right? Long like and skinny. Yep, yep. What is that all about? So <laughs> what is that all about exactly? So that's those, my question. Those, what, that's those, my, um, my new podcast. What is that <laughs> all that about? about? <laughs> By Al Mancini. By Tom Mancini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom Mancini. I'll tell you a story about Joe Mancini. One time. That's another day. So those men and women are called Maestro Jamanero, and that means they're master ham cutter. They've gone through classes, and it's a whole... I mean, in Spain, these guys and women make a lot of money going to these big parties with very wealthy people and stand there all night and just slice the ham. The trick is there are different parts of a ham. There's what we call the masa, the contra masa. The, there are these different parts that all have kind of, depending on the proximity of the bone, what the animal ate, how it died, how it was cured, the you know where it was hung, how long it was hung. All these things contribute to flavor and texture, et cetera. And so um, they're going to cut ham. You know, they'll start on you know, what we call the top or the, the masa. And they'll do the, the opposite side, the contra masa. And then they'll do the punto, which is the, the, the bottom, the heel or the, it's not the heel. That's where the foot is, but the, the bottom of the ham. Each part tastes different. Each part is cut a little differently because you're trying to get these and it's hard as hell, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm out of practice, and I mean, I, I learned this stuff a long time ago, but you want these slices that are like a perfect little rectangle that are not wavy, and like, you know, there's there's actually Facebook groups out there that call them um, pecados del jamón, or sins of the ham. <laughs> they, have, they have photos of these hams that like, you know, you're trying to keep the ham as flat as possible as you're cutting. If you do what they call, when you canoe the ham, when you, you know, you have this divot in the ham, that's like the grand sin of ham. And, you know, it's it's 
really very, very difficult to have a perfectly sliced, perfectly flat ham at all times. And that's, so their role is to literally make these perfect, it's an art form. It is literally the definition of, of an art form in practice. It's performance art in many ways. Okay, so moving on to cheese, because yes. we want to keep this rolling around, because you can't have ham without cheese. Mm. I mean, really I mean, not. you shouldn't, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would be wrong. Again, talking about the grand sins of ham. Yes. So, <laughs> Diana, when people are um, putting together a cheese plate, yeah. what are the big categories of cheeses you should be looking at? There are a few categories. I mean, there are tons of categories of cheeses, and it also mm. depends on who you ask. I try to keep an approachable category selection, um, but as a cheese maker, somebody with a cheese making background, I might classify my cheeses based on how they're ripened, the time they've been in the cave, um, which specific molds and yeasts were used. But that really doesn't translate very well to a retail setting for customers. So we mostly classify as like the brie family mm. and like the wash drain family. And then you have your soft and your bloomies that are sort of over here. And then everything's separated by milk type up on the top. So all the soft cheeses are up on the top, separated mostly by classification and then by milk type. Um, and then you kind of go into, you can go cheddars or goudas or blues or tome styles, but then you get a little wiggly because then you have some French cheeses that are tome styles, but they're from the Alps. Right. And so then they're Alpine styles. So you sort of, I kind of go by category and a little bit by country just because it's, it's a really cheese, like there's an entire podcast actually um, on that focuses on classifications of cheese um, <laughs> wow. because it really is such a huge, huge deep dive into the pool of the cheese world. Now see, when I walk into a cheese place, right, like I, I, I'll go with, in my head, there are, you've got the, you've got this really soft stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. Really, and, yeah. and you could even talk about breeze and spreadable you know, to that yeah. spreadable cheeses, right? Sure. Or even dippable cheeses. Like yep, spoonable textures, dippable yeah. ones. Mm. And then you get the more solidy cheeses, right? Yeah. Which solidy, yeah. very yeah. science word. Yes. And yeah, and, <laughs> but but th those are the ones that when they age, they start getting those crystals in them, right? Yes, like a, yeah. ch a cheddar would work that way, right? Like the same longer thing with it hands, is, by the way, the more yep. these. Yep, same thing with charcuterie. Um, so yeah, and those crystals are fun too. In cheddars, you get two types of crystal: you get calcium lactate and you get tyrosine. Um, but the one that's most commonly found in cheese, those hard age crystals that everybody loves, I call them the pop rocks of cheese. Yep. Um, <laughs> they're an amino acid. That's tyrosine. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually produce tyrosine hydroxylase in our olfactory bulb of our brain. So when we're eating those hard age cheeses that have those crunchy crystals, the chemical reaction happens in, a chemical reaction happens in the olfactory bulb that releases oxygen into the brain and the bloodstream, which is why harder age cheeses make you feel like they get you high. Better. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cheese high. So, oh. Okay. So, yeah. So, so then we move. To go off on a science tangent. No, no. I love that because I just like the way they feel in your mouth. I like it when mm -hmm. you just get that little bit of crystal. Right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it just, I don't know. It feels like, it's like the, the burst of a, um, of a caviar egg, mm. right? Yes. Against the root mm -hmm. of your mouth. Yeah. Made. That little hunk of gouda you gave us before we yes. started recording. And yeah, we are eating touch. some great cheeses. Oh, the, yeah. Yep. Here right now as we do this from Valley Cheese and Wine. Um. Then we have, okay, so is the blue cheese, is that like a whole family? Is that is. a, a yeah. category? Yes. And, you know, most, because everybody's familiar with blue, yep. Roquefort being, a, you know, similar. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more variety, I think, in that blue cheese, cheese family than people are used to. And there's a lot of yes. depth to the flavor that if all you've ever had is like blue cheese dressing that you dip your 
you know, chicken wings in or something like, (laughs) and maybe you don't like it or you don't think you like blue cheese because you didn't like the shit that was crumbled on top of your salad at a McDonald's or something. And that's a food cost blue cheese. Um, So, yeah, right. Like paying attention. Blues have a lot of really depth. Oh, gosh. You know, the, the cheese that won best cheese in the world in 2019 was a blue cheese. And it was actually a blue cheese I helped to create at Rogue Creamery. But um, it was the first domestic cheese to ever take the title of best cheese in the world. Wow. And it was a blue cheese. So it oh. kind of like rocked the whole world of cheese and really drew a sort of illustrative point to this whole classification of blues that they are just as adaptive to affinage or the aging procedure, which is where a lot of the magic happens. A lot of people think that the cheese make procedure is where the magic happens. And for me, that's just like the jumping off point to start affinage because affinage is how that cheese is treated during the time when it's, you know, being cultivated, time, tear, um, time, love, you know, yeah, time, Spend. love and tenderness, as yes. Michael Bolton would say. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> but we, um, it really, you can do blues with buffalo milk. You can make goat milk blues. You can make mixed milk blues. So there's a whole diversity and all of those milk types taste different. So the really, the thing that makes them the same is that penicillium rogue 40 or that penicillium glaucom, that blue oxygen seeking mold that creates that sort of salty or piquant or, you know, spicy sweetness. Um, but there's a huge complexity of cheese in every classification. You just hit on something about the, kind of the aging process of cheese. And I'll, I'll never forget when I first moved, I had been here a few years when, when Hubert Keller first came to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and he had the original Fleur de Lis, mm-hmm. um, which was amazing ahead of its time for this town restaurant. And I was in there. It was one of the first times I met Hubert and he was showing me that they were actually aging their own cheeses in the back. They had a room like this almost cave like room that was just perfect for it. And he was really proud of of the aging that was being done in the restaurant after the cheese was delivered. Is that common in the restaurant world? Do a lot of chefs age their own cheese after it's delivered or is it? No, no, no. This is um, that's that's high level mongering. I mean, that's that's pretty high. I do it here. Um, if I'm finding that a cheese comes in with a, a slight defect that I know a little bit of affinage can correct, but I un- also understand the microbiology very inherently. Mm-hmm. So you really need to be careful about trying to perform those sorts of things on your own because you don't know what's in your water. If you're treating this thing with water, you don't know what kind of you know aerosolized microbes right. are in your environment. So you really need to have an, an, a keen understanding of what's happening on a very microbiological level. Um, this but is the yeah. don't try this at home. Yeah, morning, it really right? is it's like, it's a, like a skateboard <laughs> video or jacket. Yeah. Um, I think also that, you know, from a charcuterie standpoint, it's, you know, butchery, charcuterie, these are things that cooks are exposed to inherently throughout um, you know, our training or whatever. And so we, we were able to, I mean, I'm not, again, I think it was the same thing that, you know, there's not a lot of people out there curing their own meat. Yeah. There are those who, you know, take it, undertake it because it's a passion project or whatever. But, you know, this is a very specialized skill that she's talking about as far as, you know, putting cheese into a cave. And it's it's something that you have to have been exposed to. And certainly, I mean, Chef Hubert is, <laughs> Hubert, you know, he's, he, yeah. Trust. Yeah. he's, you know, one of the yeah. masters of our area, so... Well, I hope people have learned a bit about cheese and charcuterie today. And um, and more importantly, I just hope they don't call chocolate charcuterie anymore. <laughs> We're going to have to call there. out We're somebody by name. You get the news coming up momentarily. This is Food and Loathing. And it is time for the news. This just in, right before we sat down for this um, uh, this interview segment, 
I noticed a post by Justin Kingsley Hall, one of our fav- one of my favorite chefs in Las Vegas, who said he is kind of stepping back and he will not be involved with peyote in um, Ferguson's downtown anymore. I guess you know it, Justin has been very. Vo- he's spoken on this show. He's had some health issues and um, bit, had some pain management issues, and you know he's also running one of what I believe is the best restaurants in Las Vegas at Main Street Provisions Absolutely. right now. Hands down. And uh, on Main Street, and he I guess has decided based on this post that he's going to be stepping back from Peyote, which was his kind of second restaurant, and um, the the team from the Black Pearl, mm-hmm. which is the ceviche. Um, concept that had been in Vegas Test Kitchen are going to be stepping in and taking over the culinary aspect of peyote. So look, I wish Justin the best. Hopefully we'll have him on. We'll get some more about this. But um, look, he's already crushing it at Main Street Provisions. Peyote is a great space. But I, I think the guys from the Black Pearl are also super talented, so mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see, or excited, I should say, to see what they do about do with that. Any thoughts? You know, I think it's really hard in some aspects right now of uh, the just, you know, still dealing with issues of the pandemic and Omicron and, you know, it, it, overall, I think it's a really smart move as an operator to take a step back, do, you know, kind of an assessment and say, Hey, you know what, where, where, where are my passions and where is my focus and where am I going to do the most good? I wish the guy all the, all the best luck because it's, you know, it's a very mature and smart business decision to say, you know what? I can do the most good here and my attention is being defrayed and I, this is the direction that I want to go. That's that takes a big pair of balls and I give him, I give him all the credit in the world. Yeah. Mad props and take care of yourself, Justin, man. You know, you, the community loves you. We need you. We need you cooking food. Damn we right. need you healthy. Damn so right. I will go to main street provisions and I'm looking forward to what the new team does over at peyote. You know, he's also just an outstanding human. Mm. Like yeah. he's just, I don't know him very well, very personally, but he's, you know, he's a family man. He's mm-hmm. a good human. And I think that, you know, being able to really do a critical self-analysis like that and mm-hmm. say, I want to, I want to show up for the, for the things that matter Great. that are the closest to me. I, I, be I my totally best, agree my with you on that. Owner, Absolutely. Chef, person, human Nothing for the, that is for, of yeah. you can exist unless you're doing well too. Yeah. Damn right. Okay, so that's the self-help section of our show today. <laughs> Oprah, you have us on. I'm Dr. Um, also, Fox 5 Locals reporting that Todd English and Marriott will open the English Hotel mm-hmm. on Main Street in the Arts District on February 22nd, my wife's birthday. We will be down there oh. celebrating that day. Um, I think we're going to the Silver Stamp, which is 222 is their address. Yes. 222, 222 is their birthday. Imperial. Yeah. So, um, Anybody wants to come party with Sue, well, that's where we'll be on that date. But maybe we'll go and sleep at Todd English's place afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it's a boutique hotel at 921 Main Street. It will reportedly have 74 rooms and a restaurant called The Pepper Club. And as somebody who's really been rediscovering Todd English recently, I like his barbecue at The Beast. I like. Um, mm-hmm. I love the relaunched olives. I'm excited to see what he does over there. I was really surprised by how good the barbecue was at The Beast. Agreed. Yeah, because okay. it doesn't have to be Same good experience. there, Same you know? Experience. I was just like same experience. It's yeah. in okay. Area 15. Yeah. Yep. And they actually have. I think they have two pitmasters and a regular chef in that yeah. place to do their other menus. Oh right? God, it that, is, that, ki- that is kitchen is. Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, that you know. kitchen is something else. Yeah. And you know, you could just be serving to regular. I mean, you're serving to that uh, Mega Mart crowd, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. could serve tourist crap, and they would probably yeah. accept it. But he's not. He's doing good stuff. Yeah. So. Be curious to see what he brings to the Arts District, mm-hmm. which is you Excited know, for that. great yep. neighborhood. Jeff, you have some news about appearing on TV ha. on a 
show produced by a really good friend of mine who called me as I was driving to this. <laughs> Fortuitous. My buddy Sean O'Malley. Can you share no. details? Absolutely. Uh, Sean is a phenomenal person. His crew was fantastic to work with. We're going to be on Food Paradise. It's going to be on February 9th on the Cooking Channel. Tune in. It's going to be, I think... Cooking s- Channel? Or travel it's channel? on the it's on the Cooking Channel. Okay. Yeah. Which is uh, different than Food Network. Correct. Yes. But okay. Same family, I believe. But, yeah. Um, Discovery it's going to be on the Cooking okay. Channel. Okay. I want to say... Uh-huh. Oh, look up your times on February 9th. But I think it's the, the name of the episode is License to Grill. And it's, I think, 7 p.m. Central. I can never get all that straight with the, the yeah. Central and this and that. But <laughs> Google it. Yeah, that's what everybody <laughs> else does. You're going to watch it on yeah. streaming or whatever. But so, Yeah, it's, we, they, they came in. They took over the restaurant for um, a day. And we did had all of our friends in, who are in town. And we were really so grateful. We had such a great turnout. And everyone came in and... Basically, we I busted out the ga- the gold flamethrower, and uh, we we had a really good time. Um, featured a number of our our dishes, and just you know, it's it was I've never done a taping of that scale where it literally it was all day. And the crew was just, and they're, they're, you know, Al, they're yeah. such a fantastic group of people. And they, yeah, I'd like they to give people a, a little glimpse behind the curtain as to how no. this stuff works, right? Because um, now Sean and I go way back. We, uh, John Curtis, myself, and Sean recorded six episodes of a show that ended up not airing, but whatever. It was a really great experience. I love working oh. with Sean. I love the way that his team um, focuses on food and really spends the time to get great beauty shots. And one of the few things John Curtis and I will probably agree about to this day is that Sean O'Malley and his team shoot great food TV. Um, now I get calls from him every once in a while. He's probably going to be pissed. I tell this story, but I get calls from him every <laughs> once in a while Those are the best when, when he needs some, you know, like, so basically, Hey, Al, what's going on? And you know, we do the, the social niceties right beforehand, but then so he's like, I'm going to be in Vegas and, um, we need somebody that does open fire cooking. Right. Okay. When are you going to be there, Sean? It's like next week or like in three days. I mean, it was something ridiculous. Right. And, um, and of course you need to close down the restaurant for a while. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out who could be good for this. And, you know, my first thought was, well, open fire. We talked to Justin Kingsley Hall, who we just spoke to. So I kind of got Justin in on a a conference with Sean and trying to figure out who, who would be good. And suddenly Justin says, why aren't you talking about Valencian gold? And I'm like, um, because I'm a shitty friend to Jeff, I guess. (laughs) I'm sorry. I forgot. Um, so this, this is how these things come to be. And I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. perfect. Cause Jeff's brand new. He might be able to close the restaurant for a day. Right, and um, get you guys in there for like a month, barely. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, so it's always exciting when you can send people to restaurants. Mm. But there's so much that goes into that—the timing and being able to commit to mm-hmm. closing down your restaurant for a full day. And these people that that line up the the perfect food porn shots, Boy. which yeah. Sean O'Malley Productions—they do incredibly well. So I cannot wait to see how they've got your flamethrower. Oh boy! In these pictures, that. it makes quite a few appearances. I just confirmed it is going to be Cooking Channel, February 9th, ten p.m. nine central, or seven where we actually live. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that. yeah. Um, but who knows if there's a West Coast feed? Depending on your cable yeah. company, <laughs> oh, I mean, like all God. that kind of shit can get into play, right? I mean, and do how you get you local get channels? Do you have this app? I can tell. Yeah. We'll have it playing on loop at, uh, <laughs> yeah. at Valencia Gold. You'll always no be more able Golden to Nights. Is there going to be a viewing party? Is there going to be a watch party? You know, we're, we've been kicking it around, but because of the the time, and and I don't know, if, I, I'm not sure if it's on a playing on a day when we're closed or not. So we'll mm. we close on Sundays and Mondays for everyone who uh, wants to come by. Don't come Sundays and Mondays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, in other news, apparently it's that time of the year when the truffles are changing colors. Yes. Kind of like leaf yes. peeping, right? Um, <laughs> truffle <laughs> peeping. I feel like white truffles had a really late and long season this year, but uh, maybe I'm just imagining that. Regardless, it looks like they've had their run because our friend Jose Andres is now celebrating black truffles. Rich, could you share some of those details? Well, thanks, Al. <laughs> um, I, I like to do that. Score. I like to yeah. do that thrill every uh, once in a while. Thank you, Shecky. <laughs> Uh, starting Tuesday, February 8th at Haleo, and then Saturday the 12th at China Poblano, Jose and the team will be celebrating the black truffles flown in from, help me out on this, Sarion? Sarion. Spain. Yes. By shaving them over a selection of dishes. Not shaming them. Shaving them. Shaving them. <laughs> well, <laughs> like you know, it depends. Truffle shaming. Shaving over a selection of dishes created especially to showcase their flavors be separate a la carte menus for each restaurant. The prices, the dishes priced between $12 and $24 at China Poblano, $18 to $30 at Haleo. Or you can just add truffles to any dish on the menu. Your your big uh, Farrell's yeah. ice cream parlor, yeah, uh, exactly. 26 scoop <laughs> ice cream. Put yeah. the truffles on there. I've had white truffles on ice cream. <laughs> good, man, I have to say. $18 for a three-ounce shave. i got to use that phrase in some other context. Yeah. Three-ounce <laughs> shave. To start workshop it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> $28 for five ounces. The menu runs through February 20th. I actually know a bit about those truffles. Um, Chef Andreas gets them from his friend Nacho Ramirez in Spain. And um, Nacho finds them with the help of his dog. Of course. Right? Yes. Yeah. Some people use pigs, but dogs don't eat the truffles as mm -hmm. pigs do. Um, and a few years back, they sent me some video of Nacho and that dog digging up those truffles. I got to say it was friggin' adorable. And probably if you Google it with my name in Review Journal, you could probably still find it because I put it up on the Review Journal site at the time. So anyway, hmm. that was fun. And now it is time to talk about cannabis. What did I do with my cannabis? Here's my cannabis. Cannabis edibles. <laughs> Where did I put my weed? Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Where's my weed? Where's my weed? <laughs> I forgot my weed. Questions that are asked all the time in college <laughs> dorm rooms. Yeah. Um, these are chocolate chip baked by a company called Trike, T-R-Y-K-E. Mm -hmm. I got these, I don't remember. I believe I got these at Exhale across okay. the street from the Palms. Yep. Um, the, I believe that's where I got them. Trike cannabis in infused chocolate chip cookies uh they are tiny they're like the mini chocolate chip cookies they yep. come 10 to a package 10 milligrams per cookie but they look like the mcdonald's chocolate chip cookies they do look like the, the mcdonald's <laughs> chocolate chip cookies like grimace should be getting <laughs> stoned yeah. with this shit right yeah oh gosh um, oh, so and i like they've got the little stamp the thc stamp on the back adorable right? so um let me take a bite diana you already dug into these right? I, yeah i already had one because i don't i don't you know i didn't want to chew on chew on mike but um but yeah i mean they really don't have any of that like not a lot of weed not a lot of weedy all. taste at all yeah, yeah. it and really is good chocolate well I infused mean, a, it's good yeah, yeah. we I mean, mentioned the ingredients yeah yeah we went through the ingredients there's not a lot of chemical ingredients on it i mean it's basically flowers chocolate chips butter sugar brown sugar eggs vanilla salt baking soda that's a chocolate then, chip cookie yeah i mean yep. basically like what these what are the chocolate chip use. cookies you would make at home except and they remind me of what store-bought um, packaged chocolate chip cookies mm. tasted like when yes. I was famous, a kid. Famous or something. Before yeah. they started the making machine. them super soft, right? Before mm -hmm. they did the soft chew, always soft kind. Because these are hard and crumbly and it'd probably be really good mixed, dipping them in milk or Ooh. in some of that cereal killer's mm -hmm. kitchen. There you go. Oh. <laughs> about earlier in the day. They are a little small for microdosing. I mean, if you want to bite one in half and only have five milligrams, yeah, you could do that. If you're sure. really trying to microdose below that, then it, these are not really for you because yeah. they're about the size of, what would you say, a quarter? Yeah. No, uh, I'd say like a, a silver dollar. Silver dollar. Silver dollar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Susan B. Anthony silver dollar, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Not not those old silver dollars. No, specifically yes, Susan, B. Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, they're they're pretty solid. We yeah. like them. 
Yeah, we did. Great. Two thumbs up. Yep. Okay. Fine and holiday as fun. As we roll through this, I'm turning my pages the wrong way today. Uh, I'm not even that stoned. <laughs> Have another cookie out. Yeah. That is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. A big thank you to Diana Breyer for hosting us, Jeff Weiss for joining us. I also want to thank Michael Stam for chatting with me today. And a quick reminder to follow us on Facebook, especially this Monday, when we will be live streaming from the Fancy Food Show all morning, maybe all day. Depends how much food yeah. we feed yeah. Rich with that day. Oh, well, yeah. How they many keep bringing how much he fancy gets food is too much fancy food. Yeah. Um, in- so, yes, tune in please Monday. tune in on Monday. And we'll have highlights <laughs> of that on next week's episode. And tell a friend about Food and Loathing, especially say nice things about us on Apple Podcasts. But either way, we do want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. Find everything you need to know about how to do all that at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. And if you want to just reach us direct, here's how you do it. Email, electronic mail, thing all the kids are using these days. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And you know what? Just because I'm the guy that always messes things up, I'm also going to throw in a quick shout-out to my friend Emmy Kasten at The List magazine. Came out this week. I wanted to mention it in the news. I totally forgot. Uh, if you're hanging out in a hotel room, which is where it's going to be distributed, you can read about 30-ish of my recommendations, restaurant recommendations. And John Legend is on the cover. So Love Emmy Kasten. guy who even looks cooler than me on the cover of that. And there's a picture <laughs> of me in a segment in there. So pick up a copy of The List magazine because it is awesome that is the end of the show with producer rich johnson i am al mancini stay hungry